When we last left Samuel, I think Gracie described it really good in the car. She said, wasn't the last thing we were talking about where that army was going to gouge out everybody's eyeballs? Yes. The stuff of nightmares for sure. So Israel wanted a king. They got to, to deliver them from the Philistines. And God was sad and told Samuel, he said, it's not you, Samuel, that they've rejected. They've rejected me because I want to be their king. But do what they ask and give them a king. So Samuel gave him a king. Saul, nothing really changed. Saul is still out uh, driving his oxen and plowing a field. He hasn't, you know, done any kingly stuff until this army comes and threatens this little town and they probably already gouged out the eyes of the, the clans that were on the other side of the Jordan and now they're crossing the Jordan into Israel proper. And so it says the Lord, the Spirit of God came upon Saul and he destroyed his plow and he chopped up the oxen and sent them all over, right? He did this really dramatic thing and they brought all the people. It says he mustered up an army and they went and they just wiped those people out. They just they had such a victory. Everybody's all excited. And they say, Alright, now we said we had we said we wanted a king. Samuel said we had a king, but now the king has shown what a king does. A king wins for us. A king leads us into victory. So remember in Judges, I'm going to try not to say this too much. But maybe I'll just say this to the chorus. Remember, this is the last of the book of Judges. So the book of Judges happened, and Samuel is that kind of gray zone of he's the last of the Judges, but he's also instituting the first king, and the second king. And he's bringing about the age of kings. So the age of judges is ending with Samuel. And um, all through the book of Judges, there was no king in the land. So everybody did what they wanted. So a king is going to lead the people in doing what is right and following God. And a king is going to lead his people in victory. To, to beat their enemies, to either conquer their enemies, as we'll see later, or in defending when the enemies come to attack, the king is going to lead the defense. And so now Saul's done it. They did this thing, and now it's like, whoa, we really do have a king. And they go to Gilgal, and this starts us at 1 Samuel 12. And all the people go to Gilgal. Gilgal, remember when they... Way back at the beginning of First Samuel, they all went to this place and the, they brought the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant got stolen. They went back there. They got the Ark back, all that business. So these assemblies are happening. They're doing this. They're starting to get in the habit. They didn't do assemblies like this very much in the book of Judges. Sometimes they would assemble. Remember Gideon? got together a whole bunch of people, but he didn't get together all of Israel. He, he got together a lot of Israel, 
Um, but it wasn't, they weren't totally united the way they're starting to be united as one, one land, one kingdom. That's the word, right? One kingdom under one king until this, these kinds of events start happening in 1 Samuel. So they all go to Gilgal. And they made Saul king. Well, now, wait a minute. Hasn't he been made king like three times now? <laughs> well, you know how we do this in America, right? We have the election. And then there's a party the night of the election when all the votes come in, but they're not official. And then there's a party like two weeks later when one candidate gives up the election to the other candidate. And then there's a party when the Electoral College has their votes, and there's a party, and then there's the inauguration, and that's a party. And then you have the, um, what is it called? State of the Union. And the first State of the Union, it's like the first State of the Union with the new president, let's have another party. This is kind of like this, where he's just getting made king, and oh, now he did this, and boy, he really is a king. Let's have a big ceremony. And oh, now this other event happened, we really have a king now, don't we? And they're kind of building and building and building. So that's what they're coming. They sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord. Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Yay, we're not going to lose our eyeballs. Samuel is there, the prophet of God, who instituted Saul, who you know, was the mediator between Israel and God to answer the prayers of Israel. He says, listen, everybody, I have obeyed your voice in all that you said to me. I have made a king over you. Look, the king walks before you, and it's obvious that I am old and gray, and my sons are with you. And he says that, and everybody goes, oh, because his sons are all corrupt, right? Basically, what Samuel is saying is the time of the judges is now over. Everybody knows I'm the last of the judges, and I'm old and gray. My sons, they're just among you, just like normal people. They're not judges. They're not prophets. And you have a king. He's, he's transitioning it over. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Who have I defrauded? Whom I have... Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes? Testify against me and I will restore it to you. Basically, this is kind of his, re his retirement speech. This is his, I am now not going to be the guy that you guys look to for leadership. You're going to look to King Saul for leadership. I'm not going to lead you anymore. They, uh, we watched a bunch of uh, terrible transitions of leadership in churches in Evansville in the last five years. And all of the church transition experts say that this is exactly the kind of thing you have to do. You have to get the old guy to get up, say how awesome the new guy is, and then leave. And that's what Saul is doing. No, no, Samuel is doing. Samuel is getting up. He's saying, thank you all. This has been great. 
Saul is awesome. Don't ask me for anything. Don't follow me. But he's also, this whole line, this is really exciting to me. He's saying, who did I ever bribe? Who, who did I ever take a bribe from? Did I extort anything out of anybody? Did I ever do anything untrue? Do you remember when Samuel started his ministry? He was zero. All the way from being zero to being an old man, he has no scandal in what he did. So, a couple years ago, Billy Graham died. And when Billy Graham died, I was like, oh man, he was awesome. And we were talking about all the awesome stuff. And there's this little subtle thing that was going on in my head that I was waiting for the scandals to come out. That somebody was going to come forward and say, he did this to me, or he did that, or here's this truth, or here's this thing. And it never came. And it wasn't for like four months afterwards that somebody found that he'd said some bad thing during the civil rights movement, and that wasn't good. And that was the only scandal. And they were really like scraping the bucket for that. I mean, it was not. And it was like so encouraging that you could have a Christian leader today that could go, you guys, he preached for 60 years. Like his time in ministry. He started when he was 22. He died at age 99. And... Uh, just his life is just radical and the stuff that he did and, and all I mean you know Billy Graham come on um, he could have done like Samuel and at the end said okay anybody that I did anything wrong to tell me and I'll make it because that's what Samuel does he says whose hand have I taken a bribe testify against me and I will restore it to you I will pay you back right now on the one hand, he wants to do that because he's kind of flexing his muscles here and he's showing what a righteous, righteous leader before God looks like. He's saying, look, you guys, this is what a righteous leader looks like. You asked for a king, I warned you, he's going to be a real goofball. He's going to mess some stuff up. Should have stuck with me. <laughs> he's kind of saying that, kind of not. But he's saying, look, if any, if look at how I led. I led in, in total integrity. Then he's also saying, if I did anything, let me pay you back. If anybody's got a grudge against me, before I'm done as the last of the judges, I want to make it right. I want to I reconcile this, right? Jesus would say, if you have an offering on the altar and somebody has something against you, Leave your offering and go reconcile. Because your reconciliation is more important than an offering on the altar before God. That is a really, really... We're required to make all these offerings, Jesus. There's all these laws about offerings. Yeah, more important than all your offerings is that people don't have something against you. That you need that's left unreconciled. Wow. So Samuel is doing that. He's living that out. And it's possible. It's possible for a man of God, a woman of God, to lead and to serve in integrity for a lifetime.
So Samuel says to the people, but now, so he's cleared himself, and now he's going to take them through this history, their history with God, to bring them up to what is happening today. Samuel said to the people, The Lord is a witness. He appointed Moses and Aaron, and he brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Remember, you guys, you were slaves in Egypt. And God is the one that sent Moses and Aaron to rescue you. So he's, he's, he's taking them back to their roots, right? This is when you were formed. This is the people that you are. Now, therefore, stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord, considering all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and your fathers. It's really crazy, and you can do more homework on your own. How many times Samuel tells everybody to stand still in this whole address? He's kind of saying, before you move on to the next thing, savor this. Reflect on this. The whole uh, concept of a Sabbath, that we work for six days and we rest on the seventh, a lot of that resting on the seventh day isn't so much as making sure you get an extra nap, but it's just stopping and reflecting on what happened over the last week. That's what, when God rested in Genesis on the seventh day, that rest, there's another, uh, some words with it that have to do with reflecting and looking back and being like, oh, remember last Tuesday? How awesome that was. We had hot dogs out. We ate in the backyard. You know, Oliver came over. Reflecting on that, like savoring. Stand still, Israel. Consider, don't move on yet. Remember what happened. Then, he moves on. When Jacob went into Egypt, the Egyptians oppressed them. When your fathers cried out to the Lord, the Lord sent Moses and Aaron. He's replaying it all. Brought your fathers out of Egypt, made them dwell in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So they were with God, and then they forgot God. He sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines. Do you see how this works? The people went to a place, they forgot God, God sold them into somebody, into slavery to somebody, and then rescued them. God sold them into slavery to the Egyptians, rescued them from Egypt. Sold them into slavery to Sisera, rescued them from Sisera. Sold them into slavery to the Philistines, rescued them with Saul. Hand of king of Moab, they fought against them. They cried out to the Lord. They said, we have sinned because we've forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. Now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies so we can serve you. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. Alright, so now all your Bible trivia goes nuts, right? He's rattling off names. Who are all these people? We're not going to go through all of them. Jeroboam was the other name for Gideon. So Gideon, Gideon was his given name, but when he burns down his dad's shrine and burns down his dad's idols to Baal, they nicknamed Gideon one who's against Baal. Or Baal's going to be against him. Jeroboam. That's Can you imagine if your nickname was like the one who's against Satan, right? 
or maybe the one who is against greed and money and wealth because the God of money and wealth is going to get him. That's, that's how Gideon. Barak, poor Deborah and Jael get left out of this list, but Barak makes the list. So Barak was the guy that Deborah said, go fight. And Barak said, well, I don't want to go unless you go with me, unless you hold my hand. And Deborah said, well, I'll hold your hand, but a lady is going to get the glory for this defeat and not you. And then JL drove the tent peg through the dude's head and all that happened. You cried out to the Lord when you sinned and he sent people to rescue you. Over and over and over. Remember all this. Stand still. Think about all, all the ways that you've sinned. Why do you think God is trying to set them up that they would know whenever they sin, God's going to rescue them? Because <laughs> they're about ready to sin really bad again, and they're going to forget, and they need to know that when you sin again, it's like, uh, is Bob Goff? Have you guys ever read any books like by Bob Goff or seen Bob Goff? He's one of the happiest people on earth. And his daughter wrecked his car. Like, wrecked it bad. And she's like, Dad, I'm so sorry. I wrecked your car. I feel terrible. He's like, oh. He went in and he pulls out this note card. And he hands it to her. And it's like this note that's like written years ago. And she's like, what? He's like, just read it. And she opens it up and it was like written around her birth. And she was like 18 or 19. And it says, go dig up the backyard in this certain spot. Take this many steps and this many steps. For real. She goes out in the backyard. She measures off the steps and whatever. She digs. She hits a metal thing. Dink! She digs around. She clears it out. It's like an old coffee can. She pulls out this old coffee can out of the ground, opens it up, pulls it out. Let's say her name's Susie. It says, Susie, I forgive you for wrecking the car. Dad. He forgave her for wrecking the car from years ago. It was already forgiven. You should read everything you can find by Bob Goff. He's awesome. He had already forgiven her. Samuel is establishing right here. Everybody, listen, here's the pattern. God saves you. You, you start anywhere in the circle you want, right? God rescues you, rescues you. You draw near to Him. You're devoted to Him. Time passes and you start to worship other things and you forget about Him. You get into a whole lot of trouble because you're starting to worship other stuff and those other things suck you away. Well, God kind of designed it that way so that you would cry out to Him and seek Him. He comes and rescues you and you're back. And the cycle continues. So when you sin, get ready. When you saw Nahash, the king of the Ammonites came. This is when you, they're all going to lose their eyeballs. They said, only a king can rule over us. Oh man, when the Lord your God was your king. And now behold, the king whom you have chosen, who you asked for, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you 
will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. <laughs> you just want to start crying now, don't you? If you guys all follow the Lord and your king is really holy, it's going to go great for you. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. So stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. He really wants them to follow them. He, God, Samuel really wants the people to follow God. He really wants them to be faithful and to stay strong. But he's going to give them a little show. He's going to give them a little... Uh, little pay attention here. Is not the wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord. What? In asking for a king. So it's the wheat harvest, and it never rains during the wheat harvest. It never. There's never a thunderstorm during the wheat harvest. And God... Samuel is going to ask God to show that this promise he's making is real. So Samuel called upon the Lord. The Lord sent thunder and rain. And all the people feared the Lord and Samuel. The other thing that's probably going to happen in that is some of their wheat fields are going to be destroyed by these thunderstorms. So then it's like, okay, wait, wait, wait. If God's showing his care for them and his love for them, why would God wipe out some wheat fields to show that thing? Well, this is, there's a couple different things going on here. This is kind of like when you ground your kid from doing this fun thing so that they learn how to listen so they don't go out and get hit by a car, right? It's the, it's the punishment that's lighter than the consequences that would be terrible. It's also, remember, when Gideon, Gideon was threshing his wheat, and he was threshing his wheat down in a cellar in a hidden place in a wine press because whenever there was a harvest, the Philistines would come and steal all the harvest and leave. And so, this is how genius God is. If you've got wheat fields that are ready for the harvest... That means the Philistines are about ready to come and steal some of that harvest. But if a thunderstorm, which is a big, visible, huge show, right, comes through and wipes out some of those fields, the Philistines are going to see that and they're going to be like, well, shoot, forget it. We were going to go raid their fields, but we can't because it all got wiped out by that storm. Did you guys see that storm? It was a whopper. And they're going to stay away from it. So God... In showing them how powerful he is and putting some fear into them, right? It's the uh, the squirt bottle on the dog. <laughs> Quit barking, right? In doing that, he's also buying Israel a few more days of peace and holding the Philistines off so they can celebrate their new king. Isn't that wild that God would... That he would actually do something and it wouldn't just have one purpose. That God's complex enough that he could do things for multiple reasons. So all the people are struck with fear. Pray to God that we wouldn't die. 
We have added to all of our sins this evil in that we've asked ourselves for a king. Wow, they're like really repenting because they realize they're actually more afraid of God who can wipe out their wheat harvest than they are afraid of these other lands that can gouge out their eyeballs. We've added to our sins. Ah, we have done wrong. Samuel says to his people, do not be afraid. You have done all of this evil, but don't turn away from following the Lord. Follow the Lord with all of your heart. Let, just let that sink in for a minute, because I don't think that's how we operate. All in one phrase, all in one breath, Samuel says, You have sinned against God. You have desecrated His holy name. Keep following Him. Keep seeking after Him. Like so much of me wants to say, I have sinned against God. Woe is me. I'm a terrible person. And Samuel says, Yeah, you are a dirtbag sinner. Keep following Jesus. What? That's how great God's mercy is. That is how great God's love for us is. That's why earlier I I prayed and I praise God. He will even listen to us when we're in the middle of our sin. When, When God talked to Adam and Eve and said, what did you do? They had apple skin stuck in their teeth, obnoxious. It was obvious what they did. And he was still talking to them and interacting with them, caring for them, loving them. See, so often we have this, we have this failure mentality where we sin and then we just think it's, it's hopeless. It, I did it again, you know. I stumbled. I gave in to this temptation. It's hopeless for me. And God says, yeah, you did. Keep following me. Keep coming. Keep seeking. You are so forgiven. Don't make me send you out to the backyard to dig up the coffee can. You are forgiven. Your sins have been taken away as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he has removed your transgressions from you. So yes, you have done all this evil. But don't turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn aside after empty things. I always, I always think it's, uh, I call it the double word score. It's the devil's double word score. The devil will tempt you. And if the devil can get you to sin, he's got his point, right? But man, if he could get you to wallow in guilt and self-pity for a day... If he can get you angry at everybody that you can blame for falling into that sin, then he gets double. And I don't mean that to sound shallow about your sin, that you would sin and then just go on like nothing happened. But that's how Jesus goes on about your sin. Because he paid for it. Jesus goes on with you like you didn't sin. Because he paid for your sin on the cross. So don't give the devil the extra point 
Don't give him the two-point conversion after the field goal by wallowing in anger and wallowing in guilt and oh, I'm just, oh, just, oh, no. We are, it is by grace we are saved through faith, not by works, so none of us can boast. So Samuel calls on the Lord, thunder, all that stuff, uh, pray that we won't die. Yes, you have sinned, but don't turn away from the Lord. The Lord will not forsake His people for His great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for Himself. It says this a couple times in Numbers. It says it a couple times in, in Leviticus and New Deuteronomy, that the Lord saved you because He wanted to. So yes, you needed it. Yes, you were in desperate. Yes, I was desperately, hopelessly lost. And the Lord wanted to have mercy on me. But the Lord wanted to have mercy on me because it delighted Him to save me. The Lord is delighted to save you. There's a time a couple years ago, and one of my kids was driving some guys to the airport in Louisville. And they're driving, and it was middle of the night, and their car broke down in Corden, Indiana. And he calls me. Oh, you know, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. This car broke down. We don't know what to do. Can you come and get us? You know how happy I was to be that dad? I was. I was like, yes, this is stuff every other guy has stories of rescuing his kids at 2 a.m. on the side of the highway and the car breaks down. They, you know, get out the pliers and the duct tape and they fix the car and everybody's like dad hero. I'm like, yes, I get to do this. Do you think when he called, he was like, I'm about to make my dad so happy. I'm just, he's just going to be so gleeful at 2 a.m. when I call him and ask him to drive for an hour and a half to pick me up. No, but the Lord will not forsake his people because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. The fun thing about that, God has made you a person for himself. But he didn't stop when he did it. He's continuing to make you a people for himself. He's always working on making you a person for him. Then right at the end, this is kind of fun. Samuel, as for me, far be it from me that I would sin against the Lord and stop praying for you. Wow. So Samuel, who just chewed everybody out and told them, that's right, you sinned. Look at all this bad stuff you all did. He said, it would be so wrong for me to quit praying for you. It would actually be a sin against God for me to not pray for you. He is that faithful. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep praying for you. I will instruct you. I'll keep teaching you. I'll keep teaching your king. But fear the Lord, serve Him faithfully, consider what great things He has done for you. If you do wickedly, you'll be swept away, you and your king. You're all going to die if you do wrong. 
Saul lived, and then, yeah, then off they go. So Samuel gives him this big ending thing. And as far as he knows, this is the only king he's going to have to put into Israel, right? Don't want to ruin that too early, but we do want to ruin it a little bit. God loves us so much that he, he says in this address, he'll say it other times. He, he says it um, in Romans 1. As we seek after God, sometimes we're going to fail and we're going to mess up. Sometimes we are going to get really easily distracted and we're going to value other things more than God. And then all of a sudden, we're going to be like, whoa, wait a minute. I, I don't value this. I value God. And He is right there. Right there. To call out to Him, to pray to Him. I used to have all kinds of guys uh, I'd work with at the rescue mission that just carried so much guilt and so much shame. And it took me working with those guys and seeing all their guilt and shame to realize how many plain old white middle class got their stuff together people are carrying around that same shame. The same shame as these homeless guys that like murdered people and stuff. And Jesus says, it's finished. I died for you on the cross. Your sins are gone. And it's for freedom that he has set you free. So go. So seek, keep following him. Um, in Romans 1, it talks about people sought after bad things. And God gave them over to those things. And Romans, the whole book of Romans could end at chapter 1. With God giving everybody over to their sinful desires. There's like 16 chapters, 17 chapters in the book of Romans. Because it doesn't end at chapter 1. Because it goes on to say, to explain, God's taken away your sin. Even though you were sinners. Even though, yes, you did all that sin. This afternoon, next Thursday, you're going to sin again. You're going to get distracted. Because this whole God's given us the freedom to choose whatever we want. But then He saves us and He says, continue to seek after me. It's not over. Alright, let's pray. Lord, thank You so much that You have set up a way that we could walk in victory. And not just victory from our sin, that we don't have to do it, but victory over our sin. That if we do mess up, that you pull us right out of it and you rescue us from it. And I pray that we would walk in that freedom and walk in that joy, that we would walk away from shame and guilt and celebrate your salvation every day, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 82.